Hello and welcome to this episode of Africa Inc. It's our usual monthly wrap of just some of the news that's been making headlines. So, coming up on today's show, Sven Richter from Drakens Capital joins us in studio to take us through some of the market movement he's keeping an eye on at the moment. Hard to ignore Kenya right now with the political tension still hanging as the votes of the rerun presidential election get tallied. Outside looking in, you certainly get a sense that the stage is being set for a protracted and economically damaging political stalemate. So how are investors navigating it all? We find out overall economic growth in sub-Saharan Africa is expected to reach 2.4% this year. That's according to the World Bank who revised down its projections slightly due to less than favorable conditions in Africa's two biggest economies, Nigeria and South Africa. But those two economies are also expected to lift growth moving into 2018. So we catch up with Punam Chuhan Pol, who's the World Bank's lead economist for Africa for more detail on the drivers there. And Investec Asset Management is one of the companies that has had a hand in Botswana's biggest ever private equity deal. We get some more insight into why the country is positioned to become a regional powerhouse with Peter Baird from Investec Asset Management. So that's all coming up on today's show. But first, let's take a look at what's been making news headlines across the continent this month. And for that, it's over to Bronwyn. Thanks, Alicia. Starting off with news from Africa's biggest economy, Nigeria plans to accelerate its revenue strategy. According to the country's finance minister, now that Nigeria has reverted to growth, it can restructure its debt portfolio into longer-term maturities by borrowing more offshore. President Mohamedou Buhari has already asked Nigerian lawmakers to approve $5.5 billion of foreign borrowing. This should help the West African nation fund its record $24.3 billion budget for this year, which is aimed at diversifying the economy. Economy. Nigeria's oil dependence was to blame for the country's slide into recession. And while the country has returned to growth, the finance minister says that the recovery still remains fragile. Zimbabwe plans to halve its budget deficit next year, and that's to around 4% of GDP. But the country's track record doesn't stand it in good stead. Zimbabwe has failed to cut its deficit over the last four years, despite promises to do so. And that's mainly due to high government spend on public sector salaries, which accounted for 85% of the national budget this year. But the country says improved tax collections in 2018 should help reduce that salary contribution by about 5% and increase revenue. Zambia's rising debt has prompted a call to action. Africa's largest copper producer is now plotting a course with the IMF to tackle the issue. And that's in response to concerns raised by the IMF that Zambia's public debt was rising at an unsustainable pace and increasing the economy's vulnerability. Two years ago, debt stood at 36% of gross domestic product. It's since jumped to 60% of GDP. Zambia's agreed to provide the IMF with data on recent developments in the country to chart a debt sustainability blueprint. Africa's largest refinery is set to go online in Nigeria in 2019. The plant, which is being built by Aliko Dangoti, is expected to produce around 650,000 barrels per day. And it's forecasted to deliver enough refined petroleum products to meet local demand and end a reliance on imports. Nigeria has also announced that its existing refineries will undergo a revamp. That's after it received interest from 26 firms to invest $2 billion for the overhaul. The country is aiming to lift its oil output to 1.8 million barrels daily by early next year. That's from current production of between 1.6 and 1.7 million. 
Tanzania has taken the shine off Petrodiamond's first quarter results. And that's as an export ban, which has since been lifted, weighed on sales. Last month, the Tanzanian government seized a consignment of diamonds from its Williamson mine. That's after alleging that the company had underdeclared the value of the goods. Petras denied the claims. But the ban dealt a blow to its sales numbers and saw revenue for the period come in 17% weaker at $78.7 million. And despite some headwinds, Kenya's state power utilities managed to generate a rise in full-year profits. Kengen has reported a 2% increase in annual profit to $112 million. And that's as its net interest income more than doubled during the period and helped offset a 8% drop in turnover. That revenue decline has been attributed to geothermal power line construction delays and a severe drought which hampered hydropower output. So that's just some of the news making headlines from across the continent. Alicia, I'll hand it back to you. Thanks, Bronwyn. Well, straight after the break, we take a look at some of the activity that's impacting movement on African bourses right now. That's with Sven Richter from Drakens Capital. So don't go away. Welcome back as we get straight into a look at some of what's been catching the attention of Sven Richter at Drakens Capital as far as market movement is concerned. Sven, thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. So give us a broad sense of the key overarching themes that have been influencing some of your approach to investing in Africa's capital markets at the moment. Okay. Well, the first thing is pretty the obvious thing. Okay, We're all watching Kenya to see what's happening with that election. And it's actually not that much news out. I mean, you get a little bit here, a little bit there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we know yet what's going to happen because with the main opposition pulling out, there's a longer-term thing happening within it as such. Um, so um, Parliament's running. Presidential election is rerun. We think you know, we, what we know is going to win. <laughs> We're not sure that it's going to play out over the next couple of weeks as such. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's uh, some of the uncertainty that's uh, come into yes. the Kenyan space. What risk are you pricing in and how are you managing your exposure within that context? Because outside looking in, you get uh, a sense that the stage is pretty much set for this protracted and economically damaging uh, political stalemate. Well, you know, the, the market hasn't really priced that in as such. People are still busy buying. There's been a little bit sort of, you know, slowed on, 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 on volumes as such. But, you know, Kenya is still in a good position with relatively low oil prices, with um, infrastructure having gone into the ground. So I think people are sort of looking through this issue where we've had this sort of four months of stagnation and are believing that, that, that things will work. Of course, Odinga said that he's going to become a, sort of an opposition to, the, to everything, but I'm not sure if that's really going to happen. So I think people are actually looking forward to actually calm down after, after this as such. In the meantime, we've got Nigeria planning to accelerate its revenue strategy, looking to restructure its debt portfolio into longer-term maturities and mm -hmm. borrowing more offshore. In fact, it's targeting about $5.5 billion of foreign borrowing. What have you made of that move? Well, you know, it's nice. It was a time when Nigeria was my number one concern on the continent as such. <laughs> and obviously, they're still dealing with, you know, the opposite. They would prefer to have a higher oil 
oil price. However, they're doing a lot of good things. You know, you find the Delta be more settled. You find that they have a trust fund there that now puts money into the Delta. The university is going to be built. So, so there's a lot more growth coming through from, from the country as such. Um, and they're busy doing sort of the right thing, restructuring their debt. Obviously, they're still spending a bit more money than they're, they're sort of they're getting in at this point in time, but I think they're getting in the right direction. And we are looking to 2019, okay? I know it's sort of, you know, out there, but Dengoti's refinery is going to come on stream, and that means that they're not going to be buying their refined product anymore, okay? Um, the other thing, of course, I'm sure you're going to bring up to me shortly is going to say, but what about the government refineries at the moment? Absolutely. Okay. Because <laughs> they were looking at PPPs uh, uh, down the road. Exactly. You know, so, and, and they still are, and they've just announced they're still going to be doing that. But we're not sure they're going to do that in time. We think Dangoji's come and sort of going to you know, take care of that and just do it. But, but that'll be another step if that does happen. But we're not convinced that they're going to get that right in time as such. But Dangoji will, will do his job. We know that. Yeah, mm. the plant is, of course, uh, forecast to deliver enough refined petroleum products to meet local demand and then, of course, reduce yes. its uh, reliance on imports. Exactly. And it can, after that, it can even ramp up further after that. So there's Absolutely. The but yes. it brings me to the question on what kind of implications this has on some of the major players that are operating in that space. For example, we had a French oil and gas major Total uh, reporting a 29% jump in third quarter net profit today as project ramp-ups come through, new investments start mm -hmm. to lift production and uh, joining a list of energy companies benefiting from higher crude prices. Yes, well, but I mean, higher is relative, you know, sort of, <laughs> we're not talking about 100, you know, we're talking about in the 50s as such. But I think one of the big things in Nigeria is not just the, the, the price, but the ability to, to pump and produce. Um, and you know they've got the pipeline is now more secure. There's another pipeline that's being brought on online. Um, so so that gives them the ability to bring oil out. And it doesn't matter what the price of oil is. If mm -hmm. you can't get it out of the delta, then it's not worth anything to you. So I think that's very positive for all the players in the delta. And the one thing which you know Total doesn't talk to because they're not really so much in it, but. Gas. Gas is becoming a big part of the delta as well, moving directly through into Nigeria. And that is probably going to be what pushes the electricity generation forward. Of course, with all the positive stride that Nigeria has been making, we've had the MSCI saying that Nigerian stocks will remain uh, part of its frontier ind indices and they no longer under review. And of course, this where a lot of nervousness had been triggered back in September 2016 after government uh, introduced capital controls. And uh, we're now seeing... Uh, almost a backtracking of that. Yes, a backtrack. I mean, not a complete sort of mm -hmm. disappearing of them as such. There are bans. You know, if you bring money in for something, you get it out of something else. There are still different exchange rates. Okay, so we don't quite know where that's going to settle. But I think what has happened is we have, you know, the MSCI has realized that Nigeria is investable. You can put money in, you can take it out. And that, that's great for the development of the country because you do want foreign money to flow into the country so that they can grow. Absolutely. Let's uh, shift focus to the southern part of Africa, Zimbabwe, planning to halve its budget deficit next year, and that's to around 4% of GDP. It's failed, of course, to cut its deficit over the last four years, despite uh, previous promises to do this already. So where are your confidence levels sitting in this regard? Okay, probably not that high, <laughs> actually, as such. I mean, Zimbabwe, they, you, you can't really, you know, as an investor, get money in and out of the country. Um, it is a challenge. They seem to be running out of cash. Um, you have a current, they've successfully managed to devalue the US dollar, which so that's quite an achievement as such. If you have a money in the bank that is not as worth as much as in your hand, we think they're going to reintroduce their currency at the end of the day. It's not something that we're very excited about this particular point in time, um, which is a pity because it's a country that we like, but right now, it's in a very, very sticky point. Uh, so are sure. you steering clear from investing in Zimbabwe at all? Well, we wouldn't put any, at the moment, we would not put any money in because we can't get any money out. So, yes, we're steering clear of Zimbabwe.
anywhere. More broadly speaking, Sven, on a regional basis, mm. uh, do you have a particular stock pick at the moment? Well, I mean, there's always lots of stocks to be excited about as such, but there was one that we were discussing actually this week being choppies um, in Botswana. And you know, they've done so well in Botswana, they really came from nowhere, they put that really good business together, now they're expanding South Africa, Kenya, and Zimbabwe as well actually, but it's for the longer term as such. Still making losses in all three of those countries, but investing for the future. I think it's a big opportunity there, but there's also a risk because obviously they, they're going into new areas as such, and that's always uh, the balance that you have to have. Well, let's leave it there. Sven, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having Thank joined you. us in studio this evening. Of course, Sven Richter is with Drakens Capital. Well, earlier this week, I caught up with Purnam Shuhan Apol, who's the World Bank's lead economist for Africa, to take a closer look at the World Bank's assessment of economic growth in sub-Saharan Africa. Now, while it sees the regional economy growing more slowly this year than previously forecast, Nigeria and South Africa are being expected to lift sub-Saharan regional growth next year. So we took a look at what the institution sees driving that momentum. There are several factors that are helping to lift growth in uh, sub-Saharan Africa this year. Um, first of all, the global uh, external conditions are more favorable. Uh, you know, global uh, growth has uh, strengthened this year and uh, commodity prices, especially of extractives, oil and metals, um, have gone up. And at the same time, global financing conditions are, uh, are continuing to be supportive. Um, so um, external conditions are providing um, you know, support to Southern Africa's growth. And domestically, we are seeing that um, uh, better weather conditions are leading to a rebound in agricultural uh, growth in uh, several countries. Um, so that is helping to uh, lower uh, food uh, price inflation and uh, supporting uh, consumer demand. Let's hone in on Africa's two uh, big economies, though. Nigeria, it's pulled out of a five-quarter recession. South Africa's emerged from two consecutive quarters of negative growth as well. Do you, however, see evidence of structural reform and implementation of fiscal policy coming through within these economies to support sustained growth momentum? I mean, just in South Africa alone this week, we had the mini-budget being delivered and not inspiring much confidence. Well, the good news is that uh, these uh, large economies, the two largest economies uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, have uh, seen better performance this year. As you said, you know, uh, Nigeria pulled out a five-quarter recession uh, in the second quarter of this year, and South Africa uh, exited from uh, two uh, quarters of negative growth. Uh, so, on the plus side, there is, uh, you know, growth is uh, is up. Uh, in these countries, however, it remains below their, uh, you know, long-term uh, growth, as um, um, you know, historical growth, as well as sort of is, there is underperformance. Um, there, there have been some improvements, but um, I would say that, um, you know, for medium-term growth, these countries are going to have to undertake uh, more structural measures that are going to improve the competitiveness of their economies, are going to be able to attract more uh, investment and, um, you know, boost uh, business um, confidence.
especially where for now it's external factors that seem to be offering the support as you uh, cited earlier improving global conditions including a rise in commodity prices do you see that breeding complacency to an extent again about implementing reform and diversifying their economies away from uh, risk well, it, this is one of the things that we emphasize in in the, our recent report, the Pulse, that uh, you know favorable uh, terms of trade are providing a boost to um, oil exporters and and uh, metal um, exporting countries, but um, at the same time, their growth is below. Uh, the potential and, uh, you know, they are underperforming. So it's going to be important to have to diversify. And with global growth being strong and global goods uh, growth uh, has also been robust, um, there is a, a scope for these countries to benefit if they can diversify. So it's really important to not be uh, vulnerable to the, um, you know, movements and volatility in commodity prices. So, which is why, you know, over the medium term, uh, we um, we sort of encourage countries to undertake structural reforms and structural measures that will uh, make the, you know, business climate more favorable. Uh, to invest in infrastructure to reduce constraints, you know, that are from um, access to energy and a lower cost of energy, to improve transportation systems. It's of course uh, key, especially. It's key, especially where you've got, uh, you know, capital inflows that are coming through uh, on the back of investors chasing yield uh, more so than anything else. And that's helping prop things up. So how much of a risk do you price in as far as that potential unwind is concerned, Punam, as monetary easing abates and tightening takes center stage in developed economies? Well, one of the uh, things that we are seeing is that um, despite a, you know, a return to normalization of monetary policy um, in the U.S., um, uh, actually uh, spreads um, on uh, emerging market um, you know, bonds have, have, been, uh, have been narrowing and are at the lowest level since uh, uh, you know, uh, the middle of 2014. And in investment uh, flows are increasing. So there is great potential there. I think there is a lot of potential in the, in the region. It's important to get the macroeconomics right and then to combine it with these structural reforms um, that will boost productivity of, of African um, workers and African economies mm -hmm. to be able to attract more uh, investment, you know, FDI and other, other forms of uh, capital flows. Punam Chuhan Pohl is the World Bank's lead economist for Africa. Up next, Peter Baird from Investec Asset Management joins us on the line to discuss the details of Botswana's largest ever private equity investment. So stay tuned.
Investec Asset Management Private Equity is a part of a consortium that has acquired Camoso, which is a Botswana-based retailer and consumer goods company. The transaction is believed to be Botswana's largest ever private equity investment, and Peter Baird from Investec Asset Management joins us on the line now with more of the detail on the investment rationale. Thanks so much, Peter, for your time today. And I guess the place to start is, what's the investment case you've bought into here? Alicia, thanks very much for having me on. So the investment case, I think, is, is simple. Comoso is a stable, very cash-generative, uh, attractive business, uh, which has a strong base in Botswana uh, and you know, is supplying consumer staples and retail, primarily in Botswana, but also in South Africa, and with growth into Zimbabwe and Zambia. So you know, what we're buying is a really stable, well-run, profitable business with great growth potential, both by you know, deepening their penetration uh, in Botswana, but also uh, through you know, rapid expansion into South Africa and uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. And, I mean, they're, they're in an uh, attractive market, uh, good assets, good management team, and, you know, I think we got a good valuation, so we're, we're really pleased. The company over the last few years has expanded, as you've highlighted, from its roots in Botswana to supply uh, retailers more so on a regional basis. Talk us through the kind of investments it's been making and, uh, you know, the current infrastructure capability, whether or not that's supportive enough of the kind of uh, regional footprint you're looking to. Well, it's, you know, I'd always view businesses are, are either constrained by supply or demand. And I think... Historically, Comoso has had excess supply in most of its manufacturing activities, uh, and they, what they had to do is unlock new markets. And so they really have made an aggressive push into South Africa uh, and have been exploring now. You know, the Zimbabwe and Zambia were doing maybe four or five truckloads a month uh, into those countries. But they have, I think, plenty of infrastructure. What's good is that the businesses like this tend to be um, cash-generative and tend to be relatively straightforward to scale. So you take, for example, a maize mill, it's easy to put up a second one, it's easy to increase throughput capacity. You take, you know, paper processing, it's easy to expand the capacity. What we're going to do is just try to build it in a balanced way and uh, go sort of where our, our customers take us. Yeah, let's take a look at that and how you're looking at, uh, you know, directing products through these uh, v various countries, uh, whether it's on a, on a go-it-alone basis or in partnership with, with retailers. Well, it'll be very much in partnership with retailers. So uh, the, the largest customer for Camoso now is Choppies, which is you know, the largest grocery store chain in Botswana, but has good presence in South Africa. You know, a big part of the strategy is to expand into you know, other third-party retailers, which they're doing very successfully, mm -hmm. and then just tap the formal sector. So you take you know, Zambia, which is a thriving country, has a, you know, a big urban middle class, and it essentially has no formal retail. So uh, as the formal retailers from South Africa and uh, domestically grow, then you know, they'll need all of these consumer staples, and they'll need you know, great supply, and they'll need good prices, and they'll need value for their money. So you know, we'll just basically we're piggybacking on the, uh, on the growth of the formal retail sector. What's the biggest challenge or risk as you see it, Peter? Because you highlight Choppies as one of the retailers uh, you're uh, partnering with. And while uh, Choppies is a success story within Botswana itself, uh, you know, its, its growth story has proven to be somewhat of a struggle in some of the other territories it's currently operating in. Well, I think it's, it's early days 
for the formal retail sector in, in many of these countries. And, you know, I look at, at Choppies and say, and I think they're making the right moves. They're, arguably, there's a land grab for formal retail in, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa, particularly in, in the, say, in the SADC countries. So, you know, they, they are, I think they and ShopRite in particular, uh, but also Pick and Pay and, and you know, some of the other retailers are, are growing fast. And, you know, there's a trade-off between, a bit of a trade-off between rapid growth and profitability because there's a run-in period for new stores. There is you know, getting to a critical mass in a new geography or around a new distribution center. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have faith in the long-term future of these jurisdictions, then you know, I think you will have faith in the, in the future of formal retail in them. South Africa, of course, is a bit different because it's a more mature market uh, and it's competitive. But a lot of the second and, and third-tier uh, municipalities or, or uh, um urban areas in South Africa aren't well served. So it appears there's a market there. Peter, amidst all of those plans, does the operational base, the manufacturing and productive base remain in Botswana? That's a good question. It's something that that we are are looking at uh, actively. Uh, Botswana is a terrific place to do business, and it's also a very good and central logistical hub. So from Botswana, you can reach all of these relevant markets, and the infrastructure is excellent. That said, you know, many of these goods, you have to just do kind of a, a you know, value-to-volume or you know, value-to-weight uh, analysis around transportation costs. And my guess is that over time, we'll sort of deepen the manufacturing footprint uh, further afield. So I could easily see building out in Lusaka, for example, yeah. where, you know, we build a big business and just some of our manufacturing opportunities. And one of the things, one of the real uh, opportunities and challenges for us at Comos is to think a lot harder about transport and logistics. Uh, and to really optimize on that because there will be good opportunities for us to either acquire or grow organically, you know, a, a lot of this manufacturing capacity, you know, at, at the, the sort of the periphery of, of the empire, if I can use that word. Well, certainly, Peter, we'll be keeping an eye on developments and growth on that front. Uh, let's leave it there. Thanks so much for having joined us on the line this evening. Peter Baird is from Investec Asset Management. And that's where we leave things with you for this week's episode of Africa Inc. But we're back, same time, same place next week. So from me, Alicia Seckham, and the rest of the team, it's goodbye until then.